Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critic Podcast. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined, like I always am, by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley, now the internet's working and he's not at his in-laws and getting shouted at by his, his partner. <laughs> girlfriend. You made me sound like a homosexual when you say... I know, uh, but I didn't. I couldn't remember if it was girlfriend, wife, fiancé, so I just went with partner and it covered fiance. everything. Fiancé. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, no, I, I feel like we, we haven't pissed off a demographic too much recently so let's say partner and say that i do not want to be associated with homosexuals and is, I mean, that, is that enough uh pissing off and owen hughes yeah struggling to remember my name then weren't you steve who's the other guy <laughs> yeah. is the other one who's on this podcast him that like one zombies yeah that one. <laughs> next week yeah. next week is owen's time to shine yeah yeah zombies um so podcast news Straight away, over to James. Yes, we have a special announcement. Um, yeah, basically, as those of you who regularly listen know, um, we we do this all from the goodness of our heart and out the the deepness of our pockets, which aren't very deep. Basically, we've all got real jobs and other stuff to do, and doing two podcasts a week is killing me specifically. And I think the other lads are quite happy with the fact that we are now going to cut back to one podcast a week, but we're going to make sure that that one podcast is just absolutely top notch. I promise we're going to put everything into it. Or slightly above average. I mean, but it's, yeah, not, it's definitely going to be above average. Let's not promise. set ourselves too high. I mean. <laughs> um, the other thing that might change is now and sometimes we're not going to do a joint main review of the new releases because actually what we've noticed is you people out there tend to only download in great numbers the films that you're actually that interested in. So we're not just going to review a a film just just because it's out now uh, because... Yeah, it's just no one's a winner there. So what we are going to do is we're going to move triple bill to weeks where there isn't a main review of which we can all make or that we think is an interesting main review and we are adding a new feature on uh, certain weeks as well and we'll let you know when these are coming up and that is we are going to incorporate the new failed critics hall of fame which is very exciting where Welcome to this week's Failed Critic Podcast. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined, like I always am, by James Diamond. 
Hello. Jerry McCauley, now the internet's working and he's not at his in-laws and getting shouted at by his, his partner. <laughs> girlfriend. You made me sound like a homosexual when you say... I know, uh, but I didn't. I couldn't remember if it was girlfriend, wife, fiancé, so I just went with partner and it covered fiance. everything. Fiancé. would be amazing. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we, we haven't pissed off a demographic too much recently, so let's say partner and say that I do not want to be associated with homosexuals. And so, I mean, Is that enough for uh, pissing off? Yeah, let's leave it at that now. And Owen Hughes. Yeah, struggling to remember my name then, weren't you, Steve? Who's the other guy? (laughs) Who's the other one who's on this podcast? Him, that one. Zombies. Yeah. (laughs) Next week, next week is Owen's time to shine. Yeah. Yeah, zombies. Um, so podcast news straight away over to James. Yes, we have a special announcement. Um, yeah, basically. As those of you who regularly listen know, um, we we do this all from the goodness of our heart and out the the deepness of our pockets, which aren't very deep. Basically, we've all got real jobs and other stuff to do, and doing two podcasts a week is killing me specifically. And I think the other lads are quite happy with the fact that we are now going to cut back to one podcast a week, but we're going to make sure that that one podcast is... Just absolutely top notch. Promise, we're going to or, put everything into it, or slightly above average. I mean, but yeah, it's, not, it's definitely going to be above average. Let's not promise. set ourselves too high. I mean. <laughs> um, the other thing that might change is now and sometimes we're not going to do a joint main review of the new releases because actually what we've noticed is you people out there tend to only download in great numbers the films that you're actually that interested in. So we're not just going to review a, a film just just because it's out now. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just no one's a winner there. So what we are going to do is we're going to move triple bill to weeks where there isn't a main review of which we can all make or that we think is an interesting main review. And we are adding a new feature on uh, certain weeks as well. And we'll let you know when these are coming up. And that is we are going to incorporate the new Failed Critics Hall of Fame, which is very exciting, where for certain weeks we will talk about a given person or film or genre or something to do with film that we think should be inducted into our very own Failed Critics Hall of Fame. And I'll be writing a blog post about that, setting that all up, setting out my expectations and my very specific criteria for nominations uh, in oh, actually, by the time you listen to this, it'll be up on the website. So that's the podcast going yes. forward. Here is this week's quote quiz. Uh, <laughs> I think Jerry's still winning with four. I'm on three, tied with James, and Owen has got one. Yeah, clinging uh, on to my one point. That's uh, you. You hold on to it tight. Trying to, <laughs> trying to make it a bit more difficult. Uh, maybe an elf or a leprechaun. It was nothing like that penis breath. Jerry. <laughs> yes, Jerry. Role models. No. Damn. Oh, that, yeah, I like where you're going with that, actually. Um, uh, James, I, I, Wayne's World, it's not, but... it's No, it's not. No, it's not. Any any offers, Owen? Ah, uh, no. Uh... Have a guess. Any film? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 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 no. No. 
No one said penis breath in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's worth a shot. It was an exchange between Michael and his brother Elliot in E.T., the extraterrestrial. Really? Yeah. Oh. No, I still can't place that bit of dialogue. It's years <laughs> since I've seen E.T., though. Am I going to find out that one of you's not seen E.T. now? No, I've seen it. Okay. Definitely. Well, we're not that bad. Okay, that's all right, then. We were kids of the 80s and 90s. Of course, yes. Yeah. Okay, then. Movie news, James. Yeah, well, the only piece of major movie news after all the... For uh, oh, apart from the fact that um, Star Wars Seven apparently has a writer now, which is the guy who wrote Toy Story Three and Little Miss Sunshine, um, his name escapes me at the moment. Uh, so yeah, there's there's that, but we'll have to see how that goes. The big trailer that was out this week was the trailer for World War Z, which is the the Brad Pitt film. I believe he's producing it as well, based on the 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 fake documentary book. I don't know. Those well, of you in, listening at home have read it. Yeah, well, I've there's no point asking them; they can't it, yeah. reply, James. Pardon? There's no point asking them at home if they if they've read it because they can't reply. Oh, no, no, yeah, text me <laughs> and I'll I'll get into a chat with you next week about it. But uh, yeah, basically, it's a it's a fake documentary book, well, uh, a record, the, a factual record the, the, of the. the Zombie apocalypse. Mm. Well, the the book is takes place. It was written, you know, it's fictional, but it the book is written after the zombie war. That's, uh, um, yeah. And the guy works for the UN, and his bosses just want stats and data and figures. But he's got all these brilliant stories of of the people mm. that he's met who survived and what they did. So his boss just says, "Why don't you just go and write a fucking book then?" So he does. <laughs> Yeah, which is essentially it. it. And weirdly, I really like this book, but Owen, mm. our resident zombie, um, that's <laughs> what I'm sticking with that. Just our resident, resident zombie, zombie. Yeah, is, is, is not a fan of the book, not a huge fan. No, I like the concept of it. I think it was a really good concept, and I, I was looking forward to reading it. And I read the zombie survival guide beforehand, and I quite liked how just sort of dry and factual it was. Yeah. Um, so it's when Max I went, Brooks, isn't it? Max Brooks, yeah, Mel yeah. Brooks' um, son, I think. That's but, it, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's got a movie connection to it already, see. Mm. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't keen on it. I got about halfway through before I almost chucked it out of the bus window because I was just so fucking <laughs> fed up of it. There wasn't enough Bruce Campbell in it. That was what it was. <laughs> a couple was. Yeah, it was the language. I think. I think it was like. I still think it's an interesting concept, and they. I would have liked to have seen a film made of it in that style. Um, mm. But yeah, just the sort of language. I think I got to the point where he was talk- there was an English guy talking about castles and hiding out with the Queen or something. And I just thought, <laughs> I just cannot be bothered to read this shit. That's how I live. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, get with the times, man. <laughs> but um, but the, um, the trailer definitely isn't going down the concept by, by the look of it. No, they've, um, they've just I first... Think- they basically still covered. Yeah, well, I don't mind that anyway. Some... I know you don't, but it uh, still disturbs me. <laughs> but it's the stuff like, um, it seems to have just ticked every box for every zombie cliche. But it just looks like a Michael Bay film, but with zombies. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just There's lo- no it... creativity. just looks like Brad Pitt going to save the world. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And someone constantly on a synthesizer going, Burr! 
every <laughs> few seconds all the way through the trailer that's annoying yeah <laughs> doesn't that like happen that in sort of time. action big blockbuster trailers all the time now I think Transformers oh, yeah. was really bad for it on the trailer just yeah. there was one on the Avengers but this just seems like it's like an episode of Peep Show where Super Hands is just going <laughs> over and over again because the longer the note the more dread um, as he famously said. Um, but yeah, it, it just looks really like, oh, look, Brad Pitt, oh, he's separated from his family. Oh, he's got to stop the zombies. And mm. what I loved about the book, um, was that it told so many different stories. Mm, which is, there which was is... about the outbreak in China. There's a fantastic bit on a submarine and stuff like that. And, um, this seems, it, maybe the film will be different, but the trailer looks to be Brad Pitt saves the world from zombies but and that's not the, what I signed the, the for. book the book's more set up for a TV series or series of TV mm. series which is probably mm. yeah. it may it may be harder it may be hard it may be great it may be harder to make now because of the success of the walking dead and people thinking let's not copy that or it may be easier because that's doing so well but it'd be easier just it'd be it would have been better to just do a TV series where each episode shows one story from the book yeah and have Patrick Stewart narrate it there you go. Why not? Brilliant. Maybe, maybe the movie will awesome. maybe the movie will spin off into that. Maybe you'll get a TV series after the movie, unless the movie absolutely flops. So who knows? Yeah, it it won't flop. I I don't think it'll be the success they wanted. It won't flop because people will go and see it because it's a zombie film, but yeah. and people will go and see it because it's a Brad Pitt action film. But I don't think it's going to be a huge success. And I. So again, from the trailer, it doesn't look like it's going to be any kind of critical success or anything like that. It right. looks pretty bland. Mm. Although there was one scene where there's a load of zombies climbing up each other trying to get over a wall, which did look quite impressive. But, but that's about it. They did film. So, yeah. They did film post-apocalyptic scenes in Glasgow, which was which is probably quite good from the people who sort of go out and pick the sets and you know location scouts. Which ties nicely I don't, into Argo. They had to yeah. dress it up much either. No. I, I bet they just turned up, just set some cameras rolling. <laughs> Didn't even have when to do was it. Up and went home. <laughs> Didn't even. When have... was Zombieland filmed? Wasn't Zombieland filmed somewhere other than where it was supposed to be? I think that was in the UK somewhere. I think it was as well, actually. I can't remember well, where. But though. I don't know if they put much makeup on people for for the you know extras in in Glasgow either. I think they just filmed the town centre. Digitally remove the um the bottles of buckfast from their hands. Mm. That's all you need to do. Uh-huh. Brilliant. That's, so that's another, another demographic. Yeah. Come, yeah. Come on, we are making a, a concerted effort to piss off demographics now. I mean, that's yeah. how I started the show, and we've got we've got to carry it going. Right. So, what have we been watching this week, Jerry? Um, I'm going to continue with my sort of series that I semi started about uh, recommending Spanish films to people. And this is one of my favourites, probably one of the most powerful films that you will ever watch. It's not one to watch uh, for a romantic night in, let's put it that way. It's called Take My Eyes. Uh, it's from 2003. The original title is De Doy Mis Ojos, if you're that way inclined. Uh, it stars Luis Tosa is the main uh, uh, male lead who is in uh, Cell to Eleven, I think, which is, is his sort of the one that he's known for in the English-speaking world, and Candela Peña, who's, uh, she's been in all sorts of things like uh, princesses. Um, she's been in quite a lot of things. Um, basically, it's the story of uh, an abusive relationship. It's all about domestic violence. And these two are a couple, and the film starts with her leaving 
and then him trying to get her back and all this kind of thing. It, it's it's a brutal film in the way that it, it portrays it. Um, very unflinching, very sort of um, Spanish or European in the way that it, it doesn't shy away from any of these things. And there's, you know, there's, there's some very harsh aspects to it, but it's, it's absolutely tremendous. It's a real sort of examination of, of that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a real... It's a thinker. It's a thinker. Let's put it that way. But it's, it's very highly recommended. Not not a sunshiny, happy film. Let's put it. Let me say that. Don't don't watch it if you're feeling down and you want to. Oh, I'll put something on for a couple of hours. You know, occupy me. You know, cheer me up. Take my mind off. It. No, it's it's harsh and brutal and and very very real. But it's a big problem in Spain. Um, you know, domestic violence is a real real big issue for them. So it was very timely in 2003 as well as that sort of started being picked up more and more by the media as well. Um, great film, great film. Directed by a woman as well, which is always nice because there's not there's not that many female directors around. I take it nobody's seen it. No, I haven't. But you've made it sound very interesting. Thank you, Jerry. I'm, I'm waiting for an English version. <laughs> it's got subtitles, Steve. Come on. Oh, I don't watch a film to read. Oh dear. <laughs> Just stop making foreign films in foreign. I mean, that's the answer to all these directors out there. Just make, <laughs> just make them all in English and everything will be fine. I might watch them, so. Oh, you like Troll Hunter, Steve? Yeah, did, did, you've not got around to watching that yet, have you? No, no I'm going to try for next week. Mm. You better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Owen, what have you watched this week? I watched um, a film by as well. We were talking about Billy Wilder last week um, with uh, the apartment, and we sort of mentioned some like it hot as well. And I, I think we actually mentioned as well he, he filmed Double Indemnity. Um, mm-hmm. So the film I watched this week was another Billy Wilder film, which was more like Double Indemnity. It was uh, Sunset Boulevard, um, which was released in uh, nineteen fifty. It's not a comedy, like I say. It's more like Double Indemnity in that it's kind of um, a film noir. Um, it's a kind of weird, strange mixture of like a thriller and a and a kind of tragic love story as well. So it's you know it's already kind of got the perfect basis for a film noir um, style anyway. And yeah, basically the opening sh- the opening shot is this swimming pool with the bloke floating in it. And then the narration starts and it reveals that, oh, the man who's in the pool is now going to recount his situation, how he got there. And then the rest of the film story sort of takes place. Stars uh, William Holden as uh, Joe, who's this unsuccessful screenwriter. And uh, he's sort of on the run from some people he owes money to. He pulls into this big old house that he thinks is abandoned. But it turns out, actually, um, it's on Sunset Boulevard and it's owned by... And currently occupied by um, Norma, who is played by Gloria Swanson, who's this old silent movie star who's, because silent movies, people stop going to them. She hasn't worked for a while. She's just living in this old house, this massive house with just her and her butler. And um, the way that she's introduced to the story is um, (laughs) she thinks that he's from like a funeral home and he's there to preside over a funeral for her dead chimp who's laid out on the table. So it's this weird introduction, but it's a really like fantastic way to set up her character really early on because she's this just crazy, aging old screen star. She sort of 
first she's very just like she doesn't want um joe around at all but then she kind of finds out what he does that he's a screenwriter um and edits scripts and that kind of thing and that kind of thing so she sort of introduces this this script that she's got to him and she wants him to edit it and then she wants to go in touch with all of her old contacts and she wants to make this movie and he's kind of he knows it's a bit shit but actually what he wants to do is work with this other girl he quite fancies um he's sort of more his own age and it's yeah it's a weird strange like i said earlier kind of like a tragic love story because she's really sort of mad about him and it turns out actually she's just mad anyway um and it's just the way that she slowly tries to work her way into his life and then he kind of ends up moving into the the house with her and it's just yeah a bit strange it's got lots and lots of references to other films a lot of stuff that i'm sure just kind of went straight over my head seeing as i'm not kind of okay with pre-1950s cinema um, but there's still lots of different things that you pick up on. There's a few cameos as well. Like, uh, I can't remember. One of the, one of the directors who features in the film as a director is an actual director from that sort okay. of era. And Buster Keaton makes a cameo in it as well. So it's got lots of these old kind of influences and themes. And it's aware of the time that it's set in. And it's kind of, because it's on like, set, it, it's filmed in 1950. It's on this like border between sort of, Oldest films and moving into a new style, so it's very, very sort of aware of what it is. It's yeah, sounds as well, Owen. Like the artist nicked off a lot of this. Do you know what I mean? Um, is there a lot of similarities between the two of them? Not really. I mean, the only kind of the similarities sort the of faded in the with the butler. That's that. And the transition from silent to talkies and all that kind of thing. Not really, because it. It, it, I know what you're trying to get at, but it's not it's not really like that. It's not like um like the artist or um uh, singing in the rain or anything like that. It's not about a transition from from talkies to new because it's set in 1950. It's right. set at a time where talkies are old and nobody makes them anymore. So um, you you wouldn't say that the artist was like sort of taking this off or anything like that, no? Mm, not really. Maybe one or two of the elements, but I think part of what makes the artist great is that it. It, it, it's kind of paying tribute to those films. It's full of homage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things I liked about it, but obviously I not think, the um, film. I was worried that it maybe it was taking too much from one place, do you know what I mean? Yeah. All About Eve is another one, which... Yeah. Uh, is, that one's about the kind of faded star and everything like that, isn't it? So, yeah, with Betty Davis. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she's... um. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's kind of stolen from anything like that. It more pays homage to it. But there's there's a lot of di- differences more than there are similarities really. But it's a great film. I really enjoyed it. The, the performances from the, um, from William Holden and uh, uh, Gloria Swanson are just fantastic. Really make the film sort of worth watching on their own really. But I'm not going to go into any plot details because it'll spoil it for you because it I is a mystery. Really, I really liked William Holden. He was the best thing in Network in my opinion as well. I've ah. not, I haven't seen him in too much, but whenever I see him, he's he's really, really good screen presence. Yeah, well, I've got um, Network to watch, actually. It's right. Oh, right. Oh, good. I'd I'd be interested to talk to you about that. Okay, maybe next week. Yeah. Yeah. He was in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, I think. Ah, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, so he's good in that. I mean, yeah, he's a good actor, I think. I quite actually... I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well... This week, I quickly, I watched United 93 um, about um, the events on 9-11 and the airline that uh, crashed 
into a field because the people on board have managed to well they didn't take control of the plane they managed to stop the terrorist reaching their final destination uh, okay film the suspense is, is a bit ruined because you know the outcome but you know the film's okay in itself seems a bit like okay a... <laughs> okay I thought it was a fantastic piece of filmmaking I'll be honest, I'm, 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 disag- I'm going to disagree with you. It's directed by Paul Greengrass, and it is, I, I think it's a fantastic, um, it's very real, there's a lot of realism, a lot of handheld camera. I, mm. I, it had me completely wrapped up in it for I, 90 minutes, I did, despite the fact that I knew what was going to happen. Conspiracy theories, Tom. Pardon? Steve might be about to bust out a lot of... Oh, yeah, that's true. No, Steve no, I, watching I, this didn't, change. I didn't find the film really engaging until they sort of stayed on the plane and then once they actually remained on the plane that was quite good that was quite interesting um exciting in some ways because you knew the end outcome but you didn't really know how it all went down mm. so that was quite good but the bits before snakes. it snakes let... was it snakes it it was not snakes no uh, if only but yeah no <laughs> 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 I'm just quite sure. I'm not really. I'm not really sure how to react to Jerry trivialising 9/11. Come on, um, it's late. Yeah, but no. So yeah, once it once they focused on the plane and what was happening there, it was it was a reasonably good film. But the, the part leading up, the, probably the first half, just sort of felt dragged on a bit. It was a bit boring. It was a bit, you know, you know what's going on. You know what's going to happen. Um. So that was United 93. And then completely different kind of film. 21 Jump Street, uh, comedy starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, who's got a ridiculous name. <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. Who, the argument here. who are two policemen who go undercover in a high school to bust drugs ring um, based on a TV series that I've never seen. But no one this side of the Atlantic ever has, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was it was a reasonably decent by the books comedy, but quite funny as well. Um definitely worth watching, although I won't watch it again in a hurry. So I'll cut that review. It's, oh, it's on Netflix, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd see it in the cinema earlier this year. I, I I liked it actually. I thought it I thought there was some some good funny moments in it for, for a comedy of that type. Um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm, I I wasn't keen to see it, but someone else told me, like a sort of modern American comedy, it's actually quite funny and quite, it, some of the jokes are quite clever, mm. I think someone said. It's not just playing yeah. on the sort of slapstick side of it. No, there, there's there's a lovely few jokes about um, dragging up an old uh, police program. Um, you know, it, 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 it's poking fun at itself, which is mm. which okay. is good. It was um, my most surprising film, actually. I think that I've seen this year in terms of what I was expecting and what actually what I got from it. Mm. And Channing Tatum certainly the most surprising. He he outfunnied Jonah Hill. That was the first time I really noticed Channing Tatum actually. And then I saw him in Magic Mike later on in the year. Um, yeah, he's someone who's really kind of turned around their reputation with a few of their film choices this year, which has been really good. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure Steve will agree he's better than Jonah Hill in this. Yeah, he's he's the funnier character out of the two, which mm. 
you know, is a bit strange because he's not really known for being a comedic actor. And Jonah Hill, his timing and his delivery is absolutely superb. Like all yeah. through, he was really, really good. And I always had him down as sort of a wooden, meathead, wooden meathead man. Yeah, same here. So yeah, that was Twenty One Jump Street. James, what have you been watching this week? Well, that segues quite nicely into mine. Actually, talking about um, meathead dumb himbos that I had previously disregarded as actors um, because this uh, this week I watched Killer Joe uh, which stars Matthew McConaughey now regular listeners will know I've already issued an apology to Matthew McConaughey on the back of Magic Mike and um, his ability to play a gritty down and dirty character unlike all of his romantic comedy stroke action, one action film Sahara, where he leans against the back of his co-star on the poster for the film and everything all turns out nice. Um, Killer Joe is actually the the creepiest, scariest character I've ever seen him play on Magic Mike, actually. Um, He plays Joe Cooper, who is a police officer and a hitman. It's set in Texas. It's set in, it's based on a play actually by Tracy Letts. And back towards the end, you think actually this feels like a play. It's got the kind of the two acts almost, um, with a big denouement at the end where all the characters are in one place and you get about half an hour's worth of action pretty much in real time. Um, the, the main plot is, there's a young man played by Emil Hirsch who, has, has anyone here seen, um, oh, what was that? Uh, the girl next door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like years ago. Yeah, it's time, it's yeah. the kid from that grown up and completely unrecognisable. The only one I saw his name at the end. I thought, oh, hang on. Um, so yeah, uh, he plays, uh, a young man who is in debt for about six grand to gangsters in Texas. And so he decides to have his mum killed, uh, for her life insurance. And his dad agrees to it and his dad's new girlfriend agrees to it and his sister, they all agree to it. And they get Joe Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, to do the job because they can't pay him in advance. He decides to take the sister of the family on a retainer. And she's kind of... There's something not mentally right about her. Sometimes she's very, very high-functioning, and then other times she's just got complete naivety. And she's played by Juno Temple in a really, really good performance, and she's probably the one sympathetic character in the entire film. It's directed by William Friedkin, who is the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection, two of the best films of the 70s, two of my films ever. So he directs it really, really nicely. Um, I can't believe he's still going, to be honest. I know. Um, but it, it, this is quite interesting because there was another film made by a master of cinema in the 70s based on a film earlier this year. Um, Rampage. Was it called Rampage? No, not Rampage. Carnage, um, which got panned, to be honest. And I, I've not seen it, but a few people I know and trust have seen it. Um, and they told me that, no, Carnage was a, a bad film. Whereas Freakin makes this he brings it alive from it being a play it's really there's some beautiful shots in texas um and like i say it's only towards the end i suddenly thought this feels like a play and it's only when i looked afterwards oh no it actually is a play um there what i will say i really enjoyed it very very black comedy thomas hayden church is in it gina Gershon's in it as well wearing a merkin right at the beginning you think you <laughs> see a muff 
but no, apparently she she spent a long time picking out a Merkin for that role. Um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult decision, you know. It is, yeah. Like. The one she picked was called Bertha. Lovely. Uh, Bertha, lovely Bertha. <laughs> um, it's, it, all, all the actors in it have put in some really good performances, actually, and that's what keeps this film going. Uh, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Very black very dark humour and some very disturbing imagery at times. There is a scene which involves some fried chicken, which when you've seen this film, you may never look at Kentucky Fried Chicken in the same way ever again. It is, it's almost kind of Lynchian in its disturbing, disturbing view of the human psyche, which I did not expect from this film at all. And that completely took me by surprise. it will divide people. Some people will hate it. Some people say it's terrible. But I, I actually genuinely really enjoyed it. And Matthew McConaughey puts in a fantastic performance in this. So, so fair play to him. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and that's out on DVD now. Came out last week. Okay. Just yeah. Um, Jerry, in case any of our listeners do like to read subtitles, um, where can they find all the Spanish films that you watch? Um. I don't know about that one. I've got them on DVD, see. But you could, I mean, I bought them in, in HMV, in like England, you know, English shops. You can get them on, online and things like that. Um, I'm not entirely sure about whether they feature on Netflix or, or Love Film, but they're definitely available on DVD in England. Okay. Um, well, on to Argo now then. The new release starring and directed by Ben Affleck and telling a true story of, um, was it 1979? To 1980. It starts in 79. Well, hostage crisis in the Iranian embassy in the... Well, the American embassy in Iran, um, which gets taken over and everyone taken hostage, except six people who manage to escape. And Ben Affleck's character has to get them out of Iran and does so by pretending they are a film crew filming a sci-fi movie. Um, like I said, based on a true story, but quite an unbelievable one. Yes, a, a declassified CIA story, which are the best kind of mm. true stories, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, that's an interesting point, though. If this film was made exactly the same as it was, but that wasn't a true story, it was just a work of fiction that someone mm-hmm. had created, Does it make it? make would it have made it a worse film? Yes. <laughs> And the appeal to it is, is that you know that it actually happened. Which, which yeah, yeah, fascinating that it isn't some fantastical Hollywood story. It's a bit like Munich. We, you were talking about Munich when I was away. Mm. Um, and I, I actually rewatched Munich a couple of weeks ago as well, which was quite fitting, but then I wasn't, I wasn't on the pod, so that failed. But um, <laughs> I think this film owes a lot to Munich, actually. Um, Steve's seen it. I don't, uh, Owen and James, you haven't seen I've it. I've not seen it yet, no. I no. Um, this film owes a lot to Munich in sort of the style. I mean, it's a similar, you know, it's it's the seventies kind of vibe to it in terms of the fashion and the way it's done, and this the sort of international style of it. But um, this is a much better film than than, than Munich, I think. I know, yeah. we give, I know we give Spielberg a lot of shit on this, mm. but but Affleck absolutely, yeah, him hands down. What this, this, yeah, I think. But I, think, I, 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 say, yeah, I really enjoyed. But this. I mean, the, in, the interesting point was I listened to an interview with Ben Affleck. It was with Simon Mayo on their radio show on Friday on the way back from watching it, 
and Ben Affleck said himself that if this wasn't based on a true story, it could have been one of the worst films ever made because it would have just been so stupid. Yeah. The actual yeah. Pre- the actual premise of it could have been so stupid, but because it's based on a true story, it's what makes the film work. And I think the humour works better, again, knowing that it's a true story, because mm. there would be a danger if it was made up that they would be getting too much humour out of what is actually a very scary yeah. situation. It's... And I think Affleck deals with those two shades very well. But... There is some very funny lines in there. There's, there's two com- At times there's... you're mm. absolutely scared. There's, there's two complete different tones to the film, though, isn't there? Because there's the, the main body of the film, and then there's the... Co- it's not a subplot, because it's, it's part of mm. the main plot, but the bit with John Goodman playing the, the makeup mm. guy from Hollywood and, and the other guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, who... Alan Arkin. Yeah, who have to make up the the fake film studio as part of this yeah. plot, uh, and those two together, and that part of the film is really funny. Mm. Yeah, that was probably my favourite bit of the film actually, with those two. I just thought they, the, the rest of the film, I could see what Affleck was doing. He was trying to make it really tense, and I don't know whether any of you picked up on it as well, but it didn't seem like any single shot in this film lasted for longer than about fifteen seconds. So it's just kind of like be telling me that, so I, I was actively looking for it to be honest. But yeah, yeah. You're right. It's just I can see what he's doing because you know you're quickly moving it there. It makes it really sort of supposedly quite tense. It didn't really work for me, but the bits that did work were those sort of softer, more humorous bits. I thought he got those bits spot on. But I think obviously this is one of the few films. I mean, I'm quite bad for sort of predicting where films are going to go and then the tension is sort of ruined for me because I just think, oh, well, I know what's going to happen. And I deliberately avoided the reading about the actual true story of this before I watched oh, it. I did the mm-hmm. same, yeah. 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 Um, because I didn't want to spoil it. And, you know, like with, with Munich, for example, I, I knew what was happening. I knew I knew that story and it, it wasn't quite as exciting. So I tried to do this deliberately. And, the, the, I mean, we, we'll talk about this more in spoiler alert, but the ending was genuinely one of the most tense bits of filmmaking I've seen mm. in, in, well, ever, I think. I was I was genuinely, my heart was going, I was really tense. You know, and there were bits of this film where he really ratcheted up the tension. I think part of that is is that sort of style. But it really worked for me, and, and that often doesn't work for me with films. I think I'm, I'm one of the people who really doesn't get into the tension a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a quite, it felt like a film that has a lot of suspense without any tension attached to it to me. There were times when you thought, oh, I really want to know what's going to happen next. I want to see what they're going to do. How do they get at this situation? Does it work? Does it fail? But then there were times, but there were a couple of tense moments. The, the start where the rebels were all storming the, the building, mm. that was quite tense, I mm. thought. I thought that um, was a brilliantly filmed sequence as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I like that. And the end, I would agree, was quite tense. But the bit, there were bits in the middle that it was just like, tenseless you know there was no kind of you didn't get you sort of to the edge of your seat and you weren't really that concerned about the characters and whether they would make it or not i know they're based on real people but as characters in a film i just kind of thought well okay you've got to do this and i would like to see if you make it or not but i'm not (laughs) i'm not that concerned about it as a sort of film character. I don't think I'm really explaining that very well. <laughs> no, I, no, I get what you're saying. I, I'm, I didn't think that. I, I was definitely more on the Jerry side of things. I, I was genuinely kind of curled up in my seat in the cinema when I watched it earlier today, thinking 
God, no, come on, get out, escape, come on, oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I, I was genuinely, um, I was really caught up in the drama. Uh, yeah, at the end, I mean, me and, me and my girlfriend were just in bits, like, you know, shouting at, at it, you know, wanting to shout at it kind of thing. Do you know when you, you sit there and you're like, come on, come on? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. As well, I mean, it wasn't just about mm. tension, but it moved along at a clip through the middle as mm. well. It wasn't. Yes. It was. It yeah. was setting up these a couple of ten set pieces. There was. There was good. It, it, it was paced really well. I thought throughout, not just these ten sections. Yeah. There and, and, were bits they could have done something. They. I say they. I mean, Affleck could have perhaps yeah. ramped it up a bit. You know, in the house, I wanted to really see um, McNary and Donovan's characters just interact a bit more, build yeah. up some tension there. They kind of teased a little bit of tension between the characters. Um, but nothing that really elevated to anything bigger than that. And so I just felt that bit particularly was kind of just setting the tone for the rest of the tension throughout the film. Okay. Um, I, I liked how it looked and I, I, having watched, I watched the town earlier this week as well, Affleck's previous story and he clearly fantastic. knows, a, he knows <laughs> a good shot. Um, yeah. And, uh, on a quick side note, I thought the town was very good, but I felt it was a bit of a poor man's heat. That was that was my opinion on it. Um, and actually, it brings me on to my opinions on Affleck as a director and where he's going. I think he's a very, very skilled director. Um, from the from now the two bits I've seen of his direction, what I would say he reminds me, and I and I don't mean this in a negative way. So he reminds me of Ron Howard or Clint Eastwood as a director. He he really feels like an actor's director in that he puts together a very well made piece and gets great performances out of his actors. Yeah. I'm just at the moment yet to see any kind of real hint of originality or innovation in his work and i know i know it's still very early in his directorial career he, he seems a very proficient without being exciting director and i mean exciting in terms of doing something different not exciting because argo was ex an exciting film okay i think me. the town was you know that was a very sort of gritty but um the way that that looked at the the protagonists was was very much humanizing them rather than making it a big sort of you know stylized cool crime thriller. I thought that that did a really good job of you know a bit like the wire making it really honing on them as people. I think that's that's where his strength is. Same with Gone Baby Gone, um, which I, I don't think anybody else has seen. Have they? I really mm, no, that too long. No. That's really good in sort of focusing on the people. And if you look at you know Goodwill Hunting, which he wrote, it's it's he's very good at picking out people. In, that, at the town, was... the first half of the town just felt like Goodwill Hunting retread all over again for me. It's really weird. The first half felt like Goodwill Hunting, and the second half felt like Heat. It, well, it, it threw me no, slightly. I, I enjoyed it, and I got through. To, I, I I did enjoy it, and I wanted to watch it to the end. Um, and afterwards, I was pleased I'd watched the film. But again, with Affleck, even with Argo, which again I loved, I felt like I was watching someone who has seen other great directors at work and gone, right, okay, I know what I need to do here. I, I, I haven't seen anything which I, in, the, in those two films and in the script that he wrote with Matt Damon for Good Will Hunting, I haven't seen anything which feels like Ben Affleck's voice. I, I haven't seen anything which would make, go in future, this is an Affleck film. 
Like that. I think and the baseball style is starting to get more. There's, there's definite parallels between the town and Argo in the way he, he films and, and his visuals. He, he definitely is starting to pick that up. But, I mean, he's, this is only his, what is it, his third film? Mm. I mean, no, he did that, that stupid short, um, I killed my wife and put her on a meat hook thing yeah. like years and years and years ago. Well, I mean, this is only his third film. I, and like I said, I, I don't mean it as a, a negative, but I, I can definitely see him being an actor that so I can do, I really get the feel of Ron Howard in, in the world and yeah. I, I really like some Ron Howard films I really genuinely do I th- again I think he is a very good director I think his strength is in choosing the right story and getting the right performances out of his actors and actors being comfortable working for him and I, I think that is definitely <laughs> the case with Affleck hasn't, hasn't, isn't that easy for him because he sort of picked himself to star in the mm, films hasn't he said is that he'll, he'll only oh, act uh, in films that he's directing or direct films yeah, that he's I, acting I, yeah, in yeah I know and I'm, I'm not quite sure what's happening <laughs> because apparently his first choice to play Tony Mendes um, in Argo his not role Brad. was Brad Pitt yeah uh, um, so that but Brad Pitt had to drop out due to scheduling issues, and then that's when he stepped in. What, you know, however, but I, I, I see the point you're making about that. But he did get. He's he's not directing. He's got a few coming out, I think. In, in yes. Three at the moment. Um, he's, but he's, but he does get he does get good performances well. out. Um, Jeremy Renner in the town. I was I was genuinely. Uh, really impressed by Jeremy Renner in the town. Um, he was the best part of the town for me. Yeah, he w- he was brilliant in that. I, I like John Hamm in that as well. Um, in this, John Goodman and Alan Arkin did some, uh, did were John Goodman and Alan Arkin, but in a, mm-hmm. a brilliant way. Brian Cranston was very good in this. I thought there were some other very good performances from character actors who you've seen in the background of films and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought he got some good performances out of them in this. It, it, I think he is going to be that kind of director in that he is going to put the right people around him, pick the right stories, hopefully, and produce some great stories. I don't think, I, I and I may well be wrong, I just at the moment don't see any in a huge innovation in his work, like you did see in the first few films of, say, of Quentin Tarantino or of David Lynch. I know that they're very extreme examples, but I'm I'm just not seeing anything hugely different here. But that doesn't matter in this case because Argo, to me, was it's one of my favourite films of the year. So I feel weird being a bit nitpicky like this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, no, I kind of agree to an extent. When I went to see it, and I thought, oh, that was, that was quite a good film. Not sure why it's getting so much praise. And then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. But I still felt very critical of it at the same time. I thought, there's there's bits in there that basically it becomes better than the sum of its parts, almost. As a yeah. film, it works really well. As When you start to sort of break down each bit, I kind of think, well, the characters perhaps could have been rounded out a bit better. They were good performances, but as characters th- themselves, they were, they were a little bit perhaps, dare I say, sort of stereotypical almost, or uh, sort of typical performances mm. from some of the people, like you mentioned, John Goodman and, and so on. Mm. And then I also felt quite critical of... The, um, the thing with, with sort of Ben Affleck's character and his son, well, that, that was sort of well done, and, and, and they didn't do it in a schmaltzy way, I don't think, which was nice. 
No, in mm. fact, I think they underplayed it a little bit, to be honest, compared to how some other films might have handled that. Going yeah. back to what Owen was saying about how you feel about a film and the cinema and then go away. I, I did exactly that with The Dark Knight Rises, actually. I came out of The Dark Knight Rises raving about it, loving it, went away, talked to other people, started picking it apart piece by piece, and then I went back and watched it in the cinema again. I was like, it doesn't matter. And in, it, I, some films, you are there, in the, live with you in the moment. Mm-hmm. Some film, I think some films improve when you step away from the cinema. I know Holy Motors was one of those that I've seen quite recently, which I walked out of the cinema going, seriously, what the fuck? Uh, And then for a week, I just kept kind of thinking and dreaming about certain sequences from that film. And so that that was a film that affected me that way. This film, yeah, it might well be in the next week or so, I go, oh, yeah, but why did they do that? And, and, you know, we're yet to have this um, conversation about inventing certain big moments for dramatic dramatic effect in a film which is supposedly based on true stories and I think there is a debate to have there. Um, Let's have a but, debate then. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Um, yeah, let's try and do it. I, I don't, the thing is, I don't, I think we've spoken about the film without really needing a spoiler alert as such. Mm. I don't want to make, I, w- I won't give anything away. What I will say, there's a couple of minor points which are annoying uh, which are different. I've, I've read up about the um, the true life story, and that is apparently the British and the New Zealand consulates didn't send them away. In fact, um, the six people stayed in a British consulate for a few days while they were, but it was deemed not safe enough to stay there, and that's why they moved to the Canadian residence. Yeah, um, they seriously underplayed, as far as I understand it, how important the Canadian government were in this. Yeah, to mm, it. Yes. I saw that. And they had to rewrite one of the end credits to kind of say that because in the film it's kind of inferred that the CIA kind of let have to let Canada take some credit or something like that but in real life the Canadians pretty much the lead on this oh my god has someone dropped dead I dropped my microphone okay. <laughs> yeah. in shock <laughs> um, the Canadians um, being useful yeah. <laughs> do you not think you sort of mentioned a point a little bit earlier on as well James about sort of picking the right stories do you yeah. not think there was some kind of political motivations for perhaps, you know, trying to win a- awards or Oscars by doing something that's so pro-American? And, and, and that kind of lead, leads into the point about changing some of the credits and some of the story to be this more pro-American. This is the other thing. I don't think it's actually hugely pro... I've heard a few people talk about it being pro-American. No, I mean, even... The, even the... Half the... um. Half the bad decisions in this film are made by American mm. government officials. I think it's, it's almost less like that, there's one man. It's less that in, in, in more. It's a very one-sided, blinkered portrayal of Iran. Of the, uh, and of the Iranian yeah. revolution. Yes, yeah. and I think that, that's that I can understand. Well, they're, they're, sort of propaganda rather than... Mm, but they're not really portraying the, the revolution. They're portraying that one situation that happens within the and, revolution, and but they're not... But, but they're not going out within the, the revolution as a whole. So they're not showing all of it. They're just showing what happened with the, the six that escaped and their, their bid to get out and, and what they saw and, and what Mendez saw. There is the background of the, um, mm. the other 50 hostages. Yeah, we, and, you see, and, you, see a, and you see a bit of them and you find out what happened to them at the end of the film, but you see a little bit of them during the film as well. And, you know, the, the bit at the beginning where they explain sort of Iran's history could have been so much more 
you know anti-Iran or pro-America, and it was. I thought Although that was they quite... made some basic mistakes in that as well, which I yeah. think was another thing that annoyed some. But um, the, the guy that that the Americans deposed actually wasn't elected on a massive mandate by the Iranian people. He was chosen by the parliament, which people had chosen. Mm. Yeah, so, but maybe, there was a maybe few... but maybe that was left out because if you go on and on and on about things like that, it it just gets a bit maybe boring or confusing for, for people and they just think, well, who, who cares? Oh, definitely it, like you, Steve, eh? Yeah. <laughs> it, I think it, the, the directors should the, have some kind of artistic license to mess around with some of that the, stuff. The, and Affleck's actually said that himself, hasn't he? He said, mm. but Affleck's quote was, because we said it was based on a true story, yes, we changed a few things to to make it work more dramatically as a film. So, for example, the fact he's actually said he kind of regrets saying that the British and the New Zealand turned them away, he said, because that didn't happen in real life. But at that moment, he wanted to portray the fact that they had literally nowhere else to go. And so... Yeah, and I can understand that. But we said at the beginning, would this film be as good if it wasn't based on a true story? And we said no. So you, it's almost like the film's trying to have both ways. It's trying to go, look, love me because I'm based on a true story, but when it suits me, I'm going to change a few details to make me a better film and not be based on a true story. Again, I, I feel bad in it because I fucking love this film. I really enjoyed it, but I think there is a debate to be had with um, how much you can change films. Maybe I don't care because um, King of Kong, going off on a massive tangent, but the documentary about the um, the uh, Donkey Kong computer games mm-hmm. records and stuff like that, loads of that is actually not quite how it should be uh, in terms <laughs> of the story. But I didn't care because it was a massively entertaining film. That was actually a documentary, not a based on a true story Hollywood film. So... Um, but but that was that was portraying itself as a pure documentary and that edited and filtered the truth to suit a, a more interesting narrative so it, i i let that film get away with it so i by rights i should let argo get away with it as well yeah so i mean I don't, I don't know who i'm even arguing with <laughs> I can I argue with this, there's a certain level where you change a story to suit a film, isn't it? And then that yeah. you can still legitimately say based on a true story. Yeah, and I, I think Argo stays the right side of that. I, I agree with that. I think you get some some films like Adrift. Have you ever seen Adrift with the people who jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean and then can't oh, get back on it? Yeah, isn't it called? Oh, I thought it was called Open Water. Or Open Water, yeah. Yes, yeah, that they one. Say yeah, based on a true story, but that yeah. is pretty much like. One aspect of the story is based yeah. on a true story. It's based on a true story because they've heard that someone got stranded off their boat once. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think I think Argo does. I think it does tread the right line. There are a few bits, especially towards the end, which didn't happen like that, but mm. they do make for mm. me and Jerry if, curled up in our seats. Going, no, if, oh, no, do it. Do if they didn't, <laughs> if they so. didn't end it in that way, the ending would have been the the realistic. <laughs> version of events would have probably been quite dull. Yeah, it would have made an interesting TV movie. Mm. Mm. So so doing that just to end the film in that way, it works and it's not really that offensive to anyone. That part, no, that part of changing like the story. Say, not like saying, not like saying, it's not like saying, no, but it's not like, it's a difference. That ending, the bit that they created to, yeah. to ramp up the tension, 
isn't like going the people, the New Zealanders and the British. And what do you call people from New Zealand? I never get that. Is it New Zealanders it's or New Zealandish or? Yeah. Anyway, if you're from oh, New Zealand, they don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I don't think I don't. We've got any registered yeah. New Zealand listeners. But if, <laughs> but, it, but, but yeah. saying that people, the people from the New Zealand and British consulates were basically being dicks and turned them away, is is a bit more wrong than making up the bit they did at the end to ramp up some tension, but doesn't really. Yeah offend anyone or make anyone out to be worse than what they were. Yeah, but that's no. kind of my point about the sort of political stuff, though. Because that makes it more that, oh, yeah, these didn't help and these didn't help. But actually, in the end, it was just a little bit of Canada, but mostly America that saved them, that came together in the end and blah bloody blah blah well, what, um, the, what the biggest thing is, is the Canadian ambassador and his family, where his wife, doing so much, because that's just... In effect, yeah. stupid. It's putting their own lives at severe risk for just for no real reason. Yeah. Mm. Well done. But, you know, again, it's kind of a bit, a bit of, as well about sort of building up this desperation in, in the characters, though. Mm. But they, they didn't. It, it, it didn't follow through on that desperation with those characters enough for me. I mean, I mentioned earlier, take Donovan, who's um, I forget the name of his actual character in the film. But he's the one who's sort of actually a little bit kind of gung ho with the idea, and then McMary's a little bit unsure about it. They yeah. could have made them, I don't know, perhaps show a bit more desperation in the situation. You know, make them kind of argue a bit more. They had a little bit of a tiff, but then it was sort of quickly resolved. And yeah, I think they've got the balance right there, though, between sort of dragging it down in, in the internal stuff. And, 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 you know, they didn't do that. They kept the story moving along, but they still showed you that there was tension and, and things like that. And, it, and it, it set up characters in certain ways, which, which needed to be done, but didn't ever get boring and bogged down and, and sort of spending so much time in the house. But I mean, it was kind of just a little bit of them uh, uh, being told that they, they were arguing a little bit. You know, it's like when someone tells you something's interesting. Well, you've, the only evidence you've got to say it's interesting is that this person said it's interesting. You, you haven't seen that it's interesting. You haven't been involved in it. Shh, like... you're finding <laughs> the whole podcast format here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, one, one other thing I did want to say, it actually did really feel quite evocative of the era, which was nice. Um, mm. When it started, it felt like a film from... It, and a lot of the film, not just visually, but stylistically, did feel like those great films of the 1970s, which is probably my favourite decade of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did find it really interesting that I read that um, apparently, to make it feel more like the 70s, Affleck shot on regular film, then cut the frames in half, then blew those images up to 200% to increase their graininess. Because I was watching it thinking, I can see scratches on this. Um, but this is a digital projection. Uh, I find that quite interesting, actually. So it's nice to see that. And yeah, you know, again, credit to Affleck. He he did he didn't just go out and shoot a film. He thought about mm. how it would look, and he thought about how he'd shoot it to make sure it looked that way. And apparently, he copied camera movements um, at scenes from all the president's men as well for the CIA scenes and stuff like that. So he clearly has a love for film. Um, and that shows. So it looked fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I definitely rank it. It's definitely my favourite, probably my favourite 15 films of the year so far. 
It is a really, really good film. I think we we yeah. discussed it a lot and talked about it and sort of picked holes in it. I think that tells you what you need to know about how strong it is. Is that we're we're trying to find these little bits and you know looking for criticisms because otherwise it's a really, really solid film. It's very in terms of a yeah, in terms of a mainstream because it is a mainstream Hollywood action thriller. It's actually very intelligent and credits the audience with a lot of intelligence as well. Unlike some other films that have been out this year that we could name, um, it's definitely on the side of good. <clears throat> I expect it to win an Oscar, but I'm not sure whether I've, I've got a bet for best picture at ten to one. I don't think yeah. it will win, but I think that's quite a nice little outsider bet. I think it's going to be between Lincoln and the Master, but Hollywood does love films about Hollywood, especially when it's films about Hollywood doing good. Uh, which is what happened here. So the, I've the, got my little bet, five pound at ten to one. Didn't the the, the makeup guy John um, John Goodman played actually get the CIA's highest honor for he did his part the uh, Silver Star? Yeah. Yes. And he was and and he was also genuinely an Oscar winner as well in yeah. real life. So yeah, his biggest accomplishment was the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's pretty cool, to be fair. He's a pretty cool bloke, yeah. So before, before we finish, Argo looked like a terrible film. I, I desperately want to see Argo. <laughs> it, it looked like a Star Wars rip-off with a blue Wookiee, but Ming the Merciless as well. Yeah, there was a, there was a C-3PO type thing in there yeah. as well. But um, yeah, apparently it's um, the, the script was made, the, the proper script, not the one they used for the film was based on an unmade feature film called Lord of Light, which is based on a novel. So you are actually able to go and read the original source material for the Argo film. But for the film, they came up with this whole, uh, like, Star Wars-type rip-off theme, basically. Just um, Unless someone actually goes and makes Argo. Unless someone goes and makes... Yeah, exactly. Um, what's going on next week, then? Next week. Um, so next week will be uh, a week where we don't have a main review. We're going to bring in Triple Bill off the bench, um, dust off our Triple Bills, and talk about, and Owen's going to be an element here, and we're going to talk about our favourite zombie films, because I am going to be at the, to give it its full title, the Leicester Festival of Zombie Culture. Yeah. Wasn't Leicester, um, wasn't Leicester in the news last year because the council have actually got a zombie defence Initiative no, no, we plan. haven't. We haven't. This is the problem. Um, a Leicester resident made a freedom of information request from the council to ask what their um, policies were in case of a zombie apocalypse. And so the council had to send an official reply saying they had no contingency plan for a zombie <laughs> invasion. Um, so, no, Leicester, we're fucked, basically. Um, <laughs> so this is why I'm going to this festival of zombie culture. Now, it looks really interesting. It's got um, six films, one of which is a secret film. I've never been anywhere where there's been secret showing, so I'm quite excited by that. Um, it's also got the world premiere of the HD restoration of Zombie, zombie Flesh Eaters. Eaters. Yes. yes, or Zombie 2, isn't zombie it? Two. Yeah. Um, yeah so that's, that's, so HD restoration, world premiere of that before it gets released on Blu-ray on the 9th of December, I believe. Um, also, there will be Charlie Higson, who I'm desperate to oh, wow. just get to say um, I'm Charlie Higson and you're listening to Fail Critics. That, that, then we can just keep <laughs> that as a sting 
forever. Um, also, the guy who played Paddy in Emmerdale, if any of you know anything about Emmerdale, I've watched it a bit when I was younger. Um, but yeah, he's a vet in Emmerdale. Apparently, he's a film director now, and he's filmed a zombie film on the Yorkshire Moors or something like that. And he's going to be presenting that. His name's Dominic Brunt. Um, a few other films as well. There's some short zombie film. Oh, yeah, it, it looks very exciting anyway. Um, and it finishes with Cockneys versus Zombies, which I've not seen yet. And I've heard is actually not bad. Um, and has Honor Blackman and Richard Bryars in it. So <laughs> that, that should be interesting. And I think they've got all sorts of games and stuff like that as well. So yeah, I'll be reporting back on that. And what is the next new release we are watching? The next new release we are watching is, and do you know what? I'm having to go and have a quick look now because I've forgotten because we're definitely not doing Twilight. I've completely shunned Twilight. Um, it's about so we started, you started in like a policy where we don't watch these films. Yeah, yeah. no, everyone's been waiting See, for this no, to happen. Twilight, and, right? Oh, I've seen the trailers for the new ones. Yeah. And, right. So the first ones, it just seems like, a love story, this girl likes two different blokes, one happens to be a a vampire and one happens to be a werewolf. And then the trailer for the last one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It all just seems like just a massive kickoff. Yeah. What, uh, I don't know uh, what's going on. Uh, it, they've done that whole thing where they've split the last book in two, which seems to be Hollywood's way of dealing with things now. Or um, Peter Jackson's putting one book into three. But yeah, exactly. That's shocking. But yeah, but anyway, the next film we are watching, and I saw the trailer for it against that, I'm quite excited by it, is End of Watch, the new Jake Gyllenhaal uh, and Michael Penner film. Um, that looks Thanks very, footage. very interesting. Yes, yes. But Speaking of footage, a lot of good reviews. Mixed with real found footage, mixed with narrative footage, and it's but it's found footage that um, has a legitimate reason for being found. So I've got no problem with this film whatsoever because <laughs> it's like um, it's like those uh, police camera action type things. So yeah. no, I'm I'm quite into that. Uh, and then the week after that, we will be inducting, if that's the right word, is it? Yeah, um, our first entry into the failed critics hall of fame um so if you want to let us know on twitter uh who should be in our hall of fame let us know on at failed critics if you want to let us know on facebook let us know on facebook.com slash failed critic um or you just let us know on the blog at failedcritics.com where you will be able to find my column about the launch of our hall of fame feature by the time you hear this okay uh well thanks for jo- uh, listening thanks for joining us on the podcast jerry owen and james um yes james just told you where you can find all the, yes, the blog see, see and the website. I did that like a pro yeah it's confused <laughs> me now i didn't expect you to be so good at this <laughs> but you can find articles from from me on there now as well so you can um one's up, yeah one One's up. There's another one ready to go. One's up. Another one on the way. Yeah. Jerry, I'm waiting for your um favourite films of 2001. Yeah, I know. 
It's a hard year to put it that way. <laughs> Don't just say, yeah, no, get him to me. God damn it, man. <laughs> so, See what it's like. I'm not letting you behind the curtain here. This is what it's like to us. There we are. So yes, like I said, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everyone for joining us um, and giving your opinions. And thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. I'll go fuck yourself. James pardon there's no point asking them at home if they've, if they've read it because they can't reply oh, yeah text me and I'll, I'll get into a chat with you next week about it but yeah um, basically it's a it's a fake documentary book well, uh, a record the, a factual record the, the, of the zombie apocalypse well the, the book is takes play it was written you know it's fictional but it, the book is written after the zombie war but, so, um, yeah. and the guy works for the UN and his bosses just want stats and data and figures but he's got all these brilliant stories of of the people mm. that he's met who survived and what they did so his boss just says why don't you just go and write a fucking book then so he does <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is essentially it uh, and weirdly I really like this book but Owen mm. our resident zombie um that's so I'm sticking with that. Just our resident, resident zombie. zombie. Yeah, is, is is not a fan of the book. Not a huge fan. No, I like the concept of it. I think it was a really good concept, and I, I was looking forward to reading it. And I read the zombie survival guide beforehand, and I quite liked how just sort of dry and factual it was. Yeah. Um, so it's when Max I went, Brooks, isn't it? Max Brooks, yeah, Mel yeah. Brooks' um, son, I think. That's but, it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So it's got a movie connection to it already, see? Mm. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't keen on it. I got about halfway through before I almost chucked it out of the bus window because I was just so fucking fed up of it. There wasn't enough Bruce Campbell in it, that was what it was. Yeah, it was the language, I think. I think it was, like, I still think it's an interesting concept and they, it, I would have liked to have seen a film made of it in that style. Um, mm. But yeah, just the sort of language. I think I got to the point where he was talk- there was an English guy talking about castles and hiding out with the Queen or something. And I just thought, I just cannot be bothered to read this shit. That's how I live. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, get, get with the times, man. <laughs> but, um, but the um, the trailer definitely isn't going down the concept by, by the look of it. No, they've, um, they've just burst. They've just the covered. Yeah, well, I don't mind that anyway. Some- I know you don't, but it uh, still disturbs me. <laughs> but it's the stuff like um, it seems to have just ticked every box for every zombie cliche. But it just looks like a Michael Bay film, but with zombies. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just, just looks no it, creativity. Just looks like Brad Pitt going to save the world. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And someone constantly on a synthesizer going every <laughs> few seconds, all the way through the trailer. That's annoying. Yeah. Doesn't that like happen that in sort of time. action? big blockbuster trailers all the time now. I think Transformers oh, yeah. was really bad for it on the trailer. Just yeah. There was one on the Avengers, but this just seems like, it's like an episode of Peep Show where Superhands is just going <laughs> over and over again, because the longer the note, the more dread. 
um, as he famously said. Um, but yeah, it, it just looks really like, oh, look, Brad Pitt, oh, he's separated from his family. Oh, he's got to stop the zombies. And mm. what I loved about the book um, was that it told so many different stories. Mm, which is, there which was is... about the outbreak in China. There's a fantastic bit on a submarine and stuff like that. And um, this seems... It, Maybe the film will be different, but the trailer looks to be Brad Pitt saves the world from zombies, but and that's not the, what I signed the, the for. Book, the book's more set up for a TV series or series of TV mm. series, which is probably mm. yeah. it may it may be harder it may be hard it may be great it may be harder to make now because of the success of The Walking Dead and people thinking let's not copy that, or it may be easier because that's doing so well. But it'd be easier just it'd be it would have been better to just do a TV series where each episode shows one story from the book. Yeah, and have Patrick Stewart narrate it. There you go. Why not? Brilliant. Maybe, maybe the movie will awesome. maybe the movie will spin off into that. Maybe you'll get a TV series after the movie, unless the movie absolutely flops. So who knows? Yeah, it it won't flop. I I don't think it'll be the success they wanted. It won't flop because people will go and see it because it's a zombie film. But yeah. and people will go and see it because it's a Brad Pitt action film. But I don't think it's going to be a huge success. And I. So again, from the trailer, it doesn't look like it's going to be any kind of critical success or anything like that. Right. It looks pretty bland. Mm. Although there was one scene where there's a load of zombies climbing up each other trying to get over a wall, which did look quite impressive. But that's about it. They did film. So, yeah. They did film post-apocalyptic scenes in Glasgow, which was which is probably quite good from the people who sort of go out and pick the sets and you know location scouts. Which ties nicely into Argo. I don't think they had to yeah. dress it up much either. No. I, I bet they just turned up, just set some cameras rolling. <laughs> Didn't even have there to do was it. Up and went home. <laughs> Didn't even have to Zombieland filmed? Wasn't Zombieland filmed somewhere other than where it was supposed to be? I think that was in the UK somewhere. I think it was as well, actually. I can't remember well, where, but though. I doubt they have to put much makeup on people for, for the you know extras in, in Glasgow either. I think they just filmed in town centre. Digitally remove the um the bottles of Buckfast from their hands. Mm. That's all you need to do. Uh-huh. Brilliant. That's, so that's another, another demographic. Yeah. Come yeah. On. Come on. We are making a, a concerted effort to piss off demographics now. I mean, that's yeah. how I started the show, and we've got we've got to carry it going. Right. So, what have we been watching this week, Jerry? Um, I'm going to continue with my sort of series that I semi started about uh, recommending Spanish films to people. And this is one of my favourites, probably one of the most powerful films that you will ever watch. It's not one to watch uh, for a romantic night yet, let's put it that way. It's called Take My Eyes. Uh, it's from 2003. The original title is De Loi Mis Ojos, if you that way inclined. Uh, it stars Luis Tosar is the main uh, uh, male lead who is in uh, Cell to Eleven, I think, which is, is his sort of the one that he's known for in the English-speaking world, and Candela Peña, who's, uh, she's been in all sorts of things like uh, princesses. Um, she's been in quite a lot of things. Um, basically, it's the story of uh, an abusive relationship. It's all about domestic violence. And these two are a couple, and the film starts with her leaving, and then him trying to get her back, and all this kind of thing. It, it's, it's a brutal film in the way that it, it portrays it. Um, very unflinching, very sort of um, Spanish- or European in the way that it, it doesn't shy away from any of these things. And there's, you know, there's, there's some very harsh aspects to it, but it's, it's absolutely tremendous. It's a real sort of examination of, of that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a real 
It's a thinker. It's a thinker. Let's put it that way. But it's, it's very highly recommended. Not not a sunshiny, happy film. Let's put it. Let me say that. Don't don't watch it if you're feeling down and you want to. Oh, put something on for a couple of hours. You know, occupy me. No, cheer me up. Take my mind off. It. No, it's it's harsh and brutal and and very very real. But it's a big problem in Spain. Um, you know, domestic violence is a real real big issue for them. So it was very timely in 2003 as well as that sort of started being picked up more and more by the media as well. Um, great film, great film. Directed by a woman as well, which is always nice because there's not there's not that many female directors around. I take it nobody's seen it. No, I haven't. But you've made it sound very interesting. Thank you, Jared. I'm, I'm waiting for an English version. <laughs> it's got subtitles, Steve. Come on. Oh, I don't watch a film to read. Oh dear! <laughs> just stop making foreign films in foreign. I mean, that's the answer to all these directors out there. Just make, <laughs> just make them all in English, and everything will be fine. I might watch them. So, oh, you like Troll Hunter, Steve? Yeah, did, did you've not got around to watching that yet, have you? No, no I'm going to try for next week. Mm. You better. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Owen, what have you watched this week? I watched um, a film by, as well, we were talking about Billy Wilder last week um, with uh, The Apartment, and we sort of mentioned some Like It Hot as well. And I think we actually mentioned as well he, he filmed Double Indemnity. Um, mm-hmm. So the film I watched this week was another Billy Wilder film, which was more like Double Indemnity. It was uh, Sunset Boulevard, um, which was released in uh, 1950. It's not a comedy, like I say. It's more like Double Indemnity in that it's kind of um, a film noir. Um, it's a kind of weird, strange mixture of like a thriller and a and a kind of tragic love story as well. So it's you know it's already kind of got the perfect basis for a film noir um, style anyway. And yeah, basically the opening sh- the opening shot is this swimming pool with the bloke floating in it. And then the narration starts and it reveals that, oh, the man who's in the pool is now going to recount his situation, how he got there. And then the rest of the film story sort of takes place. Mm-hmm. Stars uh, William Holden as uh, Joe, who's this unsuccessful screenwriter. And uh, he's sort of on the run from some people he owes money to. He pulls into this big old house that he thinks is abandoned. But it turns out, actually, um, it's on Sunset Boulevard and it's owned by... And currently occupied by um, Norma, who is played by Gloria Swanson, who's this old silent movie star who's, because silent movies, people stop going to them. She hasn't worked for a while. She's just living in this old house, this massive house with just her and her butler. And um, the way that she's introduced to the story is um, (laughs) she thinks that he's from like a funeral home and he's there to preside over a funeral for her dead chimp who's laid out on the table so it's this weird introduction but it's a really like fantastic way to set up her character really early on because she's this just crazy aging old screen star she sort of first she's very just like she doesn't want um joe around at all but then she kind of finds out what he does that he's a screenwriter um, and edit scripts and that kind of thing and that kind of thing. So she sort of introduces this this script that she's got to him, and she wants him to edit it, and then she wants to go in touch with all of her old contacts, and she wants to make this movie. And he's kind of he knows it's a bit shit, but actually what he wants to do is work with this other girl he quite fancies, um, who's sort of more his own age, and 
it's yeah, it's a weird, strange, like I said earlier, kind of like a tragic love story because she's really sort of mad about him, and it turns out actually she's just mad anyway. Um, and it's just the way that she slowly tries to work her way into his life, and then he kind of ends up moving into the the house with her. And it's just, yeah, a bit strange. It's got lots and lots of references to other films. A lot of stuff that I'm sure just kind of went straight over my head, seeing as I'm not kind of okay with pre-1950s mm. cinema. Um, but there's still lots of different things that you pick up on. There's a few cameos as well. Like, uh, I can't remember, one of, the di- one of the directors who features in the film as a director is an actual director from that sort okay. of era. And Buster Keaton makes a cameo in it as well. So it's got lots of these old kind of influences and themes and it's aware of the time that it's set in and it's kind of, because it's on like, set, it, it was filmed in 1950, it's on this like border between sort of older films and moving into a new style. So it's very, very sort of aware of what it is. It's yeah, it's as well, Owen, like the artist nicked off a lot of this. Do you know what I mean? Um, there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. Not really. I mean, the only kind of... The similarity is sort the of faded in the with the butler. That's that. And the transition from silent to talkies and all that kind of thing. Not really, because it, it, it. I know what you're trying to get at, but it's not. It's not really like that. It's not like um, like the artist or um, uh, singing in the rain or anything like that. It's not about a transition from from talkies to new, because it's set in 1950. It's right. set at a time where talkies are old and nobody makes them anymore. So you you wouldn't say that the artist was like sort of taking this off or anything like that, no? Mm, not really. Maybe one or two of the elements, but I think part of what makes the artist great is that it, it it's kind of paying tribute to those films. It's full of homage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things I liked about it. But obviously, not I think, the um, film, I was worried that it maybe it was taking too much from one place. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. All about Eve is another one which yeah uh, is, that one's about the kind of faded star and everything like that isn't it so, yeah with betty davis yeah yes. i mean she's um yeah i wouldn't say it's kind of stolen from anything like that it more pays homage to it but there's there's a lot of di- differences more than there are similarities really but it's a great film i really enjoyed it the, the performances from the, um from william holden and uh, uh gloria swanson are just fantastic really make the film sort of worth watching on their own really but I'm not going to go into any plot details because it'll spoil it for you because it I is a mystery. Really, I really liked William Holden. He was the best thing in Network, in my opinion, as well. I've ah. not, I haven't seen him in too much, but whenever I see him, he's he's really, really good screen presence. Yeah, well, I've got um, Network to watch, actually. It's right. All right, all good. Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to talk to you about that. Okay, when maybe I'll review it next week. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, I think. So he was. Ah, uh, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, so he's good in that. I mean, he, yeah, he's good, good actor. I think I quite actually. I yeah, like him a lot. Yeah, him in this. Yeah. Okay, well, this week I quickly I watched United ninety three um, about um, the events on nine eleven and the airline that uh, crashed into a field because the people on board had managed to. Well, they didn't take control of the plane. They managed to stop the terrorists reaching their final destination. Um, okay, film. The suspense is is a bit ruined because you know the outcome, but you know the film's okay in itself. Seems a bit like okay. A... <laughs> okay, I thought it was fantastic piece of filmmaking. 
I'll be honest, Steve. I'll, I'll, I'll disagree. I'm going to disagree with you. It's directed by Paul Greengrass, and it is. I, I think it's a fantastic. Um, it's very. Re- there's a lot of realism, a lot of handheld camera. I, mm. I, it had me completely wrapped up in it for I, ninety minutes. I did, despite the fact that I knew what was going to happen. Conspiracy theories, Tom. Pardon. Steve might be about to bust out a lot of... Oh, yeah, that's true. No, Steve, no, I, I, didn't, change. I didn't find the film really engaging until they sort of stayed on the plane. And then once they actually remained on the plane, that was quite good. That was quite interesting, um, exciting in some ways, because you knew the end outcome, but you didn't really know how it all went down. Mm. So that was quite good. But the bits before... Snakes? It let, was it snakes? It It was not snakes, no. Uh, if only. But yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just quite sure. I'm not really. Sh- I'm not really sure how to react to Jerry trivialising 9/11. Come on. Um, it's late. Yeah, but no. So yeah, once it once he focused on the plane, what was happening there? It was it was a reasonably good film. But the, the part leading up, the, probably the first half, just I felt dragged on a bit. It was a bit boring. It was a bit. You know, you know what's going on. You know what's going to happen. Um, so that was United ninety three, and then completely different kind of film, Twenty One Jump Street, um, comedy starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, who's got a ridiculous name. <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. Well, who, argument here. who are two policemen who go undercover? In a high school, the bus drugs ring, um, based on a TV series that I've never seen. But no one this side of the Atlantic ever has, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was it was a reasonably decent pile of books comedy, but quite funny as well. Um, definitely worth watching, although I won't watch it again in a hurry. So I'll cut that review. It, oh, it's on <laughs> Netflix, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I went to see it in the cinema earlier this year. I, I, I liked it, actually. I thought it, I thought there was some, some good funny moments in it for, for a comedy of that type. Um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm, I I wasn't keen to see it, but someone else told me, like a sort of modern American comedy, it's actually quite funny and quite it, some of the jokes are quite clever, mm. I think someone said. It's not just playing yeah. on the sort of slapstick side of it. No, there's there's a lovely few jokes about um, dragging up an old uh, police program. Um, you know, it, it it's poking fun at itself, which is okay. which is good. It was um, my most surprising film actually. I think that I've seen this year in terms of what I was expecting and what actually what I got from it. Mm. And Channing Tatum certainly the most surprising. He he. Out funnied Jonah Hill. That was the first time I really noticed Channing Tatum actually. And then I saw him in Magic Mike later on in the year. Um, yeah, he's someone who's really kind of turned around their reputation with a few of their film choices this year, which has been really good. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, yeah. I'm sure Steve will agree he's better than Jonah Hill in this. Yeah, he's, he's the funnier character out of the two, which, mm. you know, is a bit strange because he's not really known for being a comedic actor, and Jonah Hill. His timing and his delivery is absolutely superb. Like, all yeah. through. He was really, really good, and I always had him down as sort of a wooden... A meathead, wooden meathead man, yeah. Same here. So, yeah, that was 21 Jump Street. James, what have you been watching this week? 
Well, that segues quite nicely into mine, actually, talking about um, eat-head, dumb himbos that I had previously disregarded as actors. Um, because this uh, this week I watched Killer Joe, uh, which stars Matthew McConaughey. Now, regular listeners will know I've already issued an apology to Matthew McConaughey on the back of Magic Mike and um, his ability to play a gritty, down-and-dirty character unlike all of his romantic comedy stroke action, one action film Sahara, where he leans against the back of his co-star on the poster for the film and everything all turns out nice. Um, Killer Joe is actually the the creepiest, scariest character I've ever seen him play on Magic Mike, actually. Um, He plays Joe Cooper, who is a police officer and a hitman. It's set in Texas. It's set in, it's based on a play actually by Tracy Letts. And back towards the end, you think actually this feels like a play. It's got the kind of the two acts almost, um, with a big denouement at the end where all the characters are in one place and you get about half an hour's worth of action pretty much in real time. Um, the, the main plot is, as a young man played by Emil Hirsch who, has, has anyone here seen, um, oh, what was that? Uh, the girl next door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like years ago. Yeah, it's time, it's yeah. the kid from that grown up and completely unrecognisable. It's only when I saw his name at the end, I thought, oh, hang on. Um, so yeah, uh, he plays, uh, a young man who is in debt for about six grand to gangsters in Texas. And so he decides to have his mum killed, uh, for her life insurance. And his dad agrees to it and his dad's new girlfriend agrees to it and his sister, they all agree to it. And they get Joe Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, to do the job because they can't pay him in advance. He decides to take the sister of the family on a retainer. And she's kind of something not mentally right about her. Sometimes she's very, very high functioning. And then other times she's just got complete naivety. And she's played by Juno Temple in a really, really good performance. And she's probably the one sympathetic character in the entire film. It's directed by William Friedkin, who is the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection, two of the best films of the 70s, two of my favorite films ever. So he directs it really, really nicely. Um, I can't believe he's still going, to be honest. I know. Um, but it, it, This is quite interesting because there was another film made by Master of Cinema in the 70s based on a film earlier this year. Um, Rampage, was it called Rampage? No, not Rampage. Carnage. Um, which got panned, to be honest. And I, I've not seen it, but a few people I know and trust have seen it. Um, and they told me that, no, Carnage was a, a bad film. Whereas Freakin makes this, he brings it alive from it being a play. It's really, there's some beautiful shots in Texas. Um, and like I say, it's only towards the end. I suddenly thought this feels like a play. And it's only when I looked afterwards, oh, I know it actually is a play. Um, there, what I will say, I really enjoyed it. Very, very black comedy. Thomas Hayden Church is in it. Gina Gershon's in it as well. Wearing a Merkin right at the beginning. You think you <laughs> see a muff, but no, apparently she, she spent a long time picking out a Merkin for that role. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult decision, you know. It is, yeah. Like. The one she picked was called Bertha. Lovely. Um, Bertha, lovely Bertha. <laughs> um, it's, it, all, all the actors in it have put in some really good performances, actually. And that's what keeps this film going. Uh, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Very black, 
very dark humour and some very disturbing imagery at times. There is a scene which involves some fried chicken, which when you've seen this film, you may never look at Kentucky Fried Chicken in the same way ever again. It is, it's almost kind of Lynchian in its disturbing, disturbing view of the human psyche which I did not expect from this film at all, and that completely took me by surprise. Um, it will divide people. Some people will hate it. Some people say it's terrible. But I, I actually genuinely really enjoyed it. And Matthew McConaughey puts in a fantastic performance in this. So so fair play to him. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and that's out on DVD now. came out last week. Okay. Just, yeah. Um, Jerry, in case any of our listeners do like to read subtitles, um, where can they find all the Spanish films that you watch? Um, I don't know about that one. I've got them on DVD, you see. But you could, I mean, I bought them in, in HMV, in like England, you know, English shops. You can get them on, online and things like that. Um, I'm not entirely sure about whether they feature on Netflix or, or Love Film, but they're definitely available on DVD in England. Okay. Um, well, on to Argo now then, the new release starring and directed by Ben Affleck and telling a true story of, um, was it 1979? To 1980. It starts in 79. Um, Well, hostage crisis in the Iranian embassy in the, well, the American embassy in Iran, um, which gets taken over and everyone taken hostage, except six people who managed to escape and Ben Affleck's character has to get them out of Iran and does so by pretending they are a film crew filming a sci-fi movie. Um, like I said, based on a true story, but quite an unbelievable one. Yes, a, a declassified CIA story, which are the best kind of mm. true stories, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, that's an interesting point, though. If this film was made exactly the same as it was, but that wasn't a true story. It was just a work of fiction that someone mm-hmm. had created. Does it make it? A, would it have made it a worse film? Yes. I and the appeal to it is is that you know that it actually happened. Which, which yeah, yeah, fascinating that it isn't some fantastical Hollywood story. It's a bit like Munich. We you, you were talking about Munich when I was away, mm. um, and I, I actually rewatched Munich a couple of weeks ago as well, which was quite fitting. But then mm-hmm. I wasn't. Wasn't on the pod, so that failed. But um, <laughs> I think this film owes a lot to Munich, actually. Um, Steve's seen it. I don't, I, Owen and James, you haven't seen I've it. I've not seen it yet, no. I don't know. This film owes a lot to Munich in sort of the style. I mean, it's a similar, you know, it's, it's the 70s kind of vibe to it in terms of the fashion and the way it's done and this, the sort of international style of it. But um, this is a much better film than, than, than Munich, I think. I know, yeah. we give, I know we give Spielberg a lot of shit on this, mm. but, but Affleck absolutely gets yeah. him hands down. What, this, Eric, this, yeah, I think. But I, think, I, 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 I really enjoyed but this. I mean, the, in, the interesting point was I listened to an interview with Ben Affleck. It was with Simon Mayo on their radio show on mm. Friday on the way back from watching it. And Ben Affleck said himself that if this wasn't based on a true story, it could have been one of the worst films ever made because it would have just been so stupid. Yeah, the actual yeah. Pre- the actual premise of it could have been so stupid, but because it's based on a true story, it's what makes the film work. And I think the humour works better. Again, knowing that it's a true story, because mm. there would be a danger if it was made up 
that they would be getting too much humour out of what is actually a very scary yeah. situation. It's... And I think Affleck deals with those two shades very well. They... There is some very funny lines in there. There's, there's two completely... you're mm. absolutely scared. There's, there's two complete different tones to the film, though, isn't there? Because there's the, the main body of the film... And then there's the co- it's not a subplot because it's it's part of mm. the main plot, but the bit with John Goodman playing the the makeup mm. guy from Hollywood and, and the other guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, Alan Arkin, yeah. Who have to make up the the fake film studio as part of this yeah. plot, uh, and those two together and that part of the film is really funny. Mm. Yeah, that was probably my favourite bit of the film actually with those two. I just thought they the, the rest of the film. I could see what Affleck was doing. He was trying to make it really tense. And I don't know whether any of you picked up on it as well, but it didn't seem like any single shot in this film lasted for longer than about 15 seconds. So it was I, just kind of like... I remember you telling me that, so I, I was actively looking for it, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. you're right. It's just... I can see what he's doing. Because, you know, you're quickly moving it there. It makes it really sort of supposedly quite tense. It didn't really work for me, but the bits that did work were those sort of softer, more humorous bits. I thought he got those bits spot on. But I think obviously this is one of the few films, I mean, I'm quite bad for sort of predicting where films are going to go and then the tension is sort of ruined for me because I just think, oh, well, I know what's going to happen. And I deliberately avoided the reading about the actual true story of this before I watched it. I did the mm-hmm. same, yeah. 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 Um, because I didn't want to spoil it, and you know, like with with Munich, for example, I, I knew what was happening. I knew I knew that story, and it, it wasn't quite as exciting. So I tried to do this deliberately. And the, the, I mean, we, we'll talk about this more in spoiler alert. But the ending was genuinely one of the most tense bits of filmmaking I've seen mm. in, in well ever. I think I was I was genuinely my heart was going. I was really tense, you know. And there were bits of this film where he really ratcheted up the tension. I think part of that is is that sort of style. But it really worked for me, and, and that often doesn't work for me with films. I think I'm, I'm one of the people who really doesn't get into the tension a lot. Yeah, well, it's a kind. Of, it felt like a film that has a lot of suspense without any tension attached to it. To me, there were times when you thought, oh, "I really want to know what's going to happen next. I want to see what they're going to do. How do they get at this situation? Does it work? Does it fail?" But then there were times. But there were a couple of tense moments. The, the start where the rebels were all storming the, the building mm. that was quite tense. I mm. thought. I thought that um, was. A- brilliantly filmed sequence as well yeah no yeah. I, I like that and the end i would agree was quite tense but the bit there were bits in the middle that it was just like tenseless you know there was no kind of you didn't get you sort of to the edge of your seat and you weren't really that concerned about the characters and whether they would make it or not i know they're based on real people but as characters in a film i just kind of thought well Okay, you've got to do this, and I would like to see if you make it or not. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that concerned about it as a sort of film character. I don't think I'm really explaining that very well. <laughs> no, I, no, I get what you said. I, I'm, I didn't think that. I, I was definitely more on the Jerry side of things. I, I was genuinely kind of curled up in my seat in the cinema when I watched it earlier today, thinking. God, no, come on, get out, escape, come on, oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I, I was genuinely, um, I was really caught up in the drama. Uh, yeah. At the end, I mean, me and, me and my girlfriend were just in bits, like, you know, shouting at it, you know, wanting to shout at it kind of thing. Do you know when you, you sit there and you're like, come on, come on? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. As well, uh, I mean, it wasn't just about tension, but it moved along at a clip through the middle as well. Mm-hmm. 
It wasn't. Yes. It was. It yes. was setting up these a couple of ten set pieces. There was. There was good. It, it was paced really well. I thought throughout, not just these ten sections. Yeah. And, and there were bits they could have done something. It, they, I say they. I mean, Affleck could have perhaps mm. ramped it up a bit. You know, in the house, I wanted to really see um, McNary and Donovan's characters just interact a bit more, build mm. up some tension there. They kind of teased a little bit of tension between the characters. Um, but nothing that really elevated to anything bigger than that. And so I just felt that bit particularly was kind of just setting the tone for the rest of the tension throughout the film. Okay. Um, I, I liked how it looked and I, I, having watched, I watched the town earlier this week as well, Athlete's previous direct and clearly fantastic. Knows, uh, he knows a good shot. Um, yeah. Uh, on a quick side note, I thought the town was very good, but I felt it was a bit of a poor man's heat. That was that was my opinion on it. Um, and actually, it brings me on to my opinions on Affleck as a director and where he's going. I think he's a very, very skilled director. Um, from the from now, the two bits I've seen of his direction, what I would say, he reminds me, and I and I don't mean this in a negative way. So he reminds me of Ron Howard or Clint Eastwood as a director. He he really feels like an actor's director in that he puts together a very well-made piece and gets great performances out of his actors. Mm. I'm just at the moment yet to see any kind of real hint of originality or innovation in his work. And I know I know it's still very early in his directorial career. He, he seems a very proficient without being exciting director. And I mean exciting in terms of doing something different, not exciting, because Argo was ex an exciting film. Okay. I think me. The Town was, you know, it was a very sort of gritty book. Um, the way that that looked at the the protagonists was was very much humanising them rather than making it a big sort of you know stylized cool crime thriller. I thought that that did a really good job of you know a bit like the wire making it really honing on them as people. I think that's that's where his strength is. Same with Gone Baby Gone, um, which I, I don't think anybody else has seen. Have they? I reviewed mm, no, stuff too long. No. That's really good in sort of focusing on the people. And if you look at you know Goodwill Hunting, which he wrote, it's it's he's very good at picking out people. In, that, at the town, the first half of the town just felt like Goodwill Hunting retread all over again for me. It's really weird. The first half felt like Goodwill Hunting, and the second half felt like Heat. It, it, it threw me slightly. I enjoyed it, and I got through. To, I, I I did enjoy it, and I wanted to watch it to the end. Um, and afterwards, I was pleased I'd watched the film. But again, with Affleck, even with Argo, which again I loved, I felt like I was watching someone who has seen other great directors at work and gone, right, okay, I know what I need to do here. I, I, I haven't seen anything which I, in, the, in those two films and in the script that he wrote with Matt Damon for Good Will Hunting, I haven't seen anything which feels like Ben Affleck's voice. I, I haven't seen anything which would make go in future, this is an Affleck film. That, that, I and think the maybe, visual style is starting to get more. There's, there's definite parallels between the town and Argo in the way he, he films. And, and his visuals, he definitely is starting to pick that up. But I mean, he's, this is only his, what is it, his third film? Mm. I mean, no, he did that, that stupid short, um, I killed my wife and put her on a meat hook thing yeah. like years and years and years ago. 
Well, I mean, this is only his third film. I, and like I said, I, I don't mean it as a, a negative, but I, I can definitely see him be, uh, being an actor. So I can, do, I really do, get the feel of Ron Howard in, in the world. And yeah. I, I really like some Ron Howard films. I really genuinely do. I th- again, I think he is a very good director. I think his strength is in choosing the right story and getting the right performances out of his actors and actors being comfortable working for him and I, I think that is definitely <laughs> the case with Affleck hasn't, but hasn't, isn't that easy for him because he sort of picked himself to star in the mm, films hasn't he said he's, that he'll, he'll only uh, act in films that he's directing or direct films yeah, that he's I, acting uh, yeah, in I know. And I'm, I'm not quite sure what's happening because <laughs> apparently his first choice to play Tony Mendes um, in Argo his role Brad. was Brad Pitt yeah uh, um, so that but Brad Pitt had to drop out due to scheduling issues, and then that's when he stepped in. What, you know, however, but I, I, I see the point you're making up. about that. But he's, he did get. He's he's not directing. He's got a few coming out, I think. In, in yes. Brief moment. Um, he's, but he's, he does get he does get good performances well. out. Um, Jeremy Renner in the town. I was I was genuinely. Uh, really impressed by Jeremy Renner in the town. Um, he was the best part of the cool. town for me. Yeah, he w- he was brilliant in that. I, I like John Hamm in that as well. Um, in this, John Goodman and Alan Arkin did some, uh, did well, John Goodman and Alan Arkin, but in a, mm-hmm. a brilliant way. Brian Cranston was very good in this. I thought there were some other very good performances from character actors who you've seen in the background of films and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought he got some good performances out of them in this. It, it, I think he is going to be that kind of director in that he is going to put the right people around him, pick the right stories, hopefully, and produce some great stories. I don't think, I, I and I may well be wrong, I just at the moment don't see any inno- huge innovation in his work, like you did see in the first few films of, say, of Quentin Tarantino or of David Lynch. I know that they're very extreme examples, but I'm I'm just not seeing anything hugely different here. But that doesn't matter in this case because Argo, to me, was it's one of my favourite films of the year. So I feel weird being a bit nitpicky like this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I kind of agree to an extent. When I went to see it, and I thought, oh, that was, that was quite a good film. Not sure why it's getting so much praise. And then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. But I still felt very critical of it at the same time. I thought, there's there's bits in there that basically it becomes better than the sum of its parts, almost. As a yeah. film, it works really well. As When you start to sort of break down each bit, I kind of think, well, the characters perhaps could have been rounded out a bit better. They were good performances, but as characters th- themselves, they were, they were a little bit perhaps, dare I say, sort of stereotypical almost, or uh, sort of typical performances mm. from some of the people, like you mentioned, John Goodman and, and so on. Mm. And then I also felt quite critical of... The, um, the thing with, with sort of Ben Affleck's character and his son, well, that, that was sort of well done, and, and, and they didn't do it in a schmaltzy way, I don't think, which was nice. No, in fact, I think they underplayed it a little bit, to be honest, compared to how some other films might have handled that. Going back to what Owen was saying about how you feel about a film and the cinema and then go away, I I did exactly that with The Dark Knight Rises, actually. I came out of The Dark Knight Rises raving about it, loving it, went away, talked to other people, started picking it apart piece by piece, and then I went back and watched it in the cinema again. I was like, it doesn't matter. 
it, I, some films you are there in the live with you in the moment. Some film I think some films improve when you step away from the cinema. I know Holy Motors was one of those that I've seen quite recently, which I walked out of the cinema going, seriously, what the fuck? Uh, and then for a week, I just kept kind of thinking and dreaming about certain sequences from that film. And so that that was a film that affected me that way. This film, yeah, I, it might well be in the next week or so, I go, oh, yeah, but why did they do that? And, and you know, we're yet to have this um, conversation about inventing certain big moments for dramatic dramatic effect in a film which is supposedly based on true stories and i think there is a debate to have there um let's have a but, debate then okay <laughs> let's do it um yeah let's try and do it i, I don't the thing is i don't i think we've spoken about the film without really needing a spoiler alert as such mm. i don't want to make I, I won't give anything away what i will say there's a couple of minor points which are annoying uh, which are different. I've, I've read up about the um, the true life story, and that is apparently the British and the New Zealand consulates didn't send them away. In fact, um, the six people stayed in a British consulate for a few days while they were, but it was deemed not safe enough to stay there, and that's why they moved to the Canadian residence. Yeah, um, they seriously underplayed, as far as I understand it, how important the Canadian government were in this. Yeah, mm, yeah. I saw that. And they had to rewrite one of the end credits to kind of say that because in the film it's kind of inferred that the CIA kind of let have to let Canada take some credit or something like that but in real life the Canadians pretty much the lead on this oh my god has someone dropped dead I dropped my microphone okay. <laughs> yeah. in shock <laughs> um, the Canadians um, being useful <laughs> but do you not think you sort of mentioned a point a little bit earlier on as well James about sort of picking the right stories do you yeah. not think there was some kind of political motivations for perhaps, you know, trying to win awards or Oscars by doing something that's so pro-American? Uh, and uh, that kind of the... lead, leads into the point about changing some of the credits and some of the story to be this more pro-American. This is the other thing. I don't think it's actually hugely pro... I've heard a few people talk about it being pro-American. No, I mean, even... The, even the... Half the... um. Half the bad decisions in this film are made by American mm. government officials. I think it's, it's almost less that, like there's one man. It's less that in, in, in more. It's a very one-sided, blinkered portrayal of Iran. Of the, uh, and of the Iranian yeah. revolution. Yes, yeah. and I think that, that's that, that I can be seen well, as then, American but, propaganda rather than... Mm, but they're not really portraying the, the revolution. They're portraying that one situation that happens within the and, revolution, and but they're that's... not... But, but they're not going out within the, the revolution as a whole. So they're not showing all of it. They're just showing what happened with the, the six that escaped and their, their bid to get out and, and what they saw and, and what Mendez saw. There is the background of the, um, mm. the other 50 hostages. Yeah. We, and you see, and you see a, and you see a bit of them and you find out what happened to them at the end of the film, but you see a little bit of them during the film as well. And, you know, the, the bit at the beginning where they explain sort of Iran's history could have been so much more you know, anti-Iran or pro-America, and it was. I thought well, that was they quite... made some basic mistakes in that as well, which I yeah. think was another thing that annoyed some. Um, the, the guy that, that the Americans deposed actually wasn't elected on a massive mandate by the Iranian people. He was chosen by the parliament, which people had chosen. Mm. Yeah, so, but maybe, maybe few... but maybe that was left out because if you go on and on and on about things like that, it it just gets a bit 
maybe boring or confusing for for people, and they just think, well, who, who cares? I'm definitely like you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> It, I think it, the, the directors should the, have some kind of artistic license to mess around with some of that the, stuff. And Affleck's actually said that himself, hasn't he? He said, mm. but Affleck's quote was, because we said it was based on a true story, yes, we changed a few things to to make it work more dramatically as a film. So, for example, the fact he's actually said he kind of regrets saying that the British and the New Zealand turned them away, he said, because that didn't happen in real life. But at that moment, he wanted to portray the fact that they had literally nowhere else to go. And so that was a film, yeah. And and I can understand that. But we said at the beginning, would this film be as good if it wasn't based on a true story? And we said no. So it's almost like the film's trying to have both ways. It's trying to go, look, love me because I'm based on a true story, but when it suits me, I'm going to change a few details to make me a better film and not be based on a true story. Again, I I feel bad in it because I fucking love this film. I really enjoyed it, but I think there is a debate to be had with um, how much you can change films. Maybe I don't care because um, King of Kong, going off on a massive tangent, but the documentary about the um, the uh, Donkey Kong computer games mm-hmm. records and stuff like that, loads of that is actually not quite how it should be uh, in terms <laughs> of the story. But I didn't care because it was a massively entertaining film. That was actually a documentary, not a based on a true story Hollywood film. So... Um, but but that was that was portraying itself as a pure documentary and that edited and filtered the truth to suit uh, a more interesting narrative so it, i i let that film get away with it so i by rights i should let argo get away with it as well yeah so i mean I don't, know, I don't know who i'm even arguing with <laughs> I can I argue with there's, there's a certain level where you change a story to suit a film, isn't it? And that yeah. you can still legitimately say based on a true story. Yeah, you and know, I, I think Argo stays the right side of that. I, I agree with that. I think you get some some films like Adrift. Have you ever seen Adrift with the people who jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean and then can't oh, get back on it? Yeah, isn't it called? Oh, I thought it was called Open Water. Oh, Open Water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That they one, say yeah. based on a true story, but that yeah. is pretty much like. One aspect of the story is based on a true story. They based it on a true story because they've heard that someone got stranded off their boat once. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think think Argo does, I think it does tread the right line. There are a few bits, especially towards the end, which didn't happen like that, but Mm. they do make Mm. for... Me and Jerry if, curled up in our seats going, no, if, no, no, do it. If they didn't, <laughs> if they so. didn't end it in that way, the ending would have been the the realistic <laughs> version of events would have probably been quite dull. Yeah, it would have made an interesting TV movie. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so but, do it, do, doing that just to end the film in that way, make it works, and it's not really that offensive to anyone. That part, no, that part of changing like the story, saying, not like saying, not like saying, it's not like saying no, but it's not like it's a difference. That ending, the bit that they created to yeah. to ramp up the tension, isn't like going the people, the, the New Zealanders and the British. What do you call people from New Zealand? I never get that. Is it, it New Zealanders it or New Zealandish or? Yeah. Anyway, if you're from God, New Zealand, they don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so I don't think. I don't. We've got any registered yeah. New Zealand listeners. But saying that people, yeah. the people from the New Zealand and British consulates, were basically being dicks and turned them away, 
is is a bit more wrong than making up the bit they did at the end to ramp up some tension, but doesn't really yeah. offend anyone or make anyone out to be worse than what they were. Yeah. But that's no. kind of my point about the sort of political stuff, though. Because that makes it more that, oh, yeah, these didn't help and these didn't help. But actually, in the end, it was just a little bit of Canada, but mostly America that saved them, that came together in the end and blah, blah, blah. Well, what, um, the, what the biggest thing is, is the Canadian ambassador and his family, where his wife, doing so much. Because that's just, in effect, yeah. stupid. It's putting their own lives at severe risk for just for no real reason. Yeah. Mm. Well done. But, then. You know, again, it's kind of a bit, a bit as well about sort of building up this desperation in, in the characters, though. But they, they didn't. It, it didn't follow through on that desperation with those characters enough for me. I mean, I mentioned earlier, take Donovan, who's um, I forget the name of his actual character in the film. But he's the one who's sort of actually a little bit kind of gung ho with the idea, and then Mary's a little bit unsure about it. They yeah. could have made them, I don't know, perhaps show a bit more desperation in the situation. You know, make them kind of argue a bit more. They had a little bit of a tiff, but then it was sort of quickly resolved. And yeah, I think they got the balance right there, though, between sort of dragging it down in, in the internal stuff. And, 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 you know, they didn't do that. They kept the story moving along, but they still showed you that there was tension and, and things like that. And, it, and it, it set up characters in certain ways, which, which needed to be done. But didn't ever get boring and bogged down and, and sort of spending so much time in the house. But, I mean, it was kind of just a little bit of them of, of, of being told that they, they were arguing a little bit. You know, it's like when someone tells you something's interesting. Well, the only evidence you've got to say it's interesting is that this person said it's interesting. You, you haven't seen that it's interesting. You haven't been involved in it. Shh, it's like... shh. You're, you're finding the whole podcast format here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, one, one other thing I did want to say, it actually did really feel quite evocative of the era, which was nice. Um, mm. When it started, it felt like a film from... it, And a lot of the film, not just visually, but stylistically, did feel like those great films of the 1970s, which is probably my favourite decade of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did find it really interesting that I read that um, apparently, to make it feel more like the 70s, Affleck shot on regular film, then cut the frames in half, then blew those images up to 200% to increase their graininess. Because I was watching it thinking, I can see scratches on this. Um, but this is a digital projection. Uh, I find that quite interesting, actually. So it's nice to see that. And yeah, you know, again, credit to Affleck. He he did he didn't just go out and shoot a film. He thought about how it would look, and he thought about how he'd shoot it to make sure it looked that way. And apparently, he copied camera movements um, uh, scenes from all the president's men as well for the CIA scenes and stuff like that. So he clearly has a love for film. Um, and that shows. So it looked fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I definitely rank it. It's definitely my favourite, probably my favourite 15 films of the year so far. It's a really, really good film. I think we, we yeah. discussed it a lot and talked about it and sort of picked holes in it. I think that tells you what you need to know about how strong it is, is that we're, we're trying to find these little bits and, you know, looking for criticisms because otherwise it's a really, really solid film. In terms of a yeah, in terms of a mainstream because it is a mainstream Hollywood action thriller, it's actually very intelligent and credits the audience with a lot of intelligence as well. Unlike some other films that have been out this year that we could name, 
Mm. Um, it's definitely on the side of good. <clears throat> I expect it to win an Oscar, but I'm not sure whether... I've, I've got a bet for Best Picture at 10 to 1. I don't think yeah. it will win, but I think that's quite a nice little outsider bet. I think it's going to be between Lincoln and The Master, but Hollywood does love films about Hollywood, especially when it's films about Hollywood doing good. Uh, which is what happened here. So the, the, I've got the, my little bet, five pound at ten to one. Didn't the the, the makeup guy John um, John Goodman played actually get the CIA's highest honor for he did his part the uh, Silver Star? Yeah. Yes. And he was and and he was also genuinely an Oscar winner as well in yeah. real life. So yeah, biggest accomplishment is the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> That's pretty cool, to be fair. He's a pretty cool bloke, yeah. So before, before we finish, Argo looked like a terrible film. I, I desperately want to see Argo. <laughs> it, it looked like a Star Wars rip-off with a blue Wookiee, but Ming the Merciless as well. Yeah, there was a, there was a C-3PO type thing in there yeah. as well. But um, yeah, apparently it's um, the, the script was based, the, the proper script, not the one they used for the film was based on an unmade feature film called Lord of Light, which is based on a novel. So you are actually able to go and read the original source material for the Argo film, but for the film, they came up with this whole uh, like Star Wars type mm. rip-off theme, basically. Um, just mm. Unless someone actually goes and makes Argo. Unless someone goes and makes... Yeah, exactly. Um, what's going on next week, then? Next week. Um, so next week will be uh, a week where we don't have a main review. We're going to bring in Triple Bill off the bench, um, dust off our Triple Bills, and talk about, and Owen's going to be an element here, and we're going to talk about our favourite zombie films, because I am going to be at the, to give it its full title, the Leicester Festival of Zombie Culture. Yeah. Wasn't Leicester, um, wasn't Leicester in the news last year because the council have actually got a zombie defence Initiative no, no, we plan. haven't. We haven't. This is the problem. Um, a Leicester resident made a freedom of information request from the council to ask what their um, policies were in case of a zombie apocalypse. And so the council had to send an official reply saying they had no contingency plan for a zombie <laughs> invasion. Um, so, no, Leicester, we're fucked, basically. Um, <laughs> so this is why I'm going to this festival of zombie culture. Now, it looks really interesting. It's got um, six films, one of which is a secret film. I've never been anywhere where there's been secret showing, so I'm quite excited about that. Um, it's also got the world premiere of the HD restoration of Zombie, zombie Flesh Eaters. Yes. yes, or Zombie 2, isn't zombie it? Two. Yeah. Um, so official that's, sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, so HD restoration, world premiere of that before it gets released on Blu-ray on the 9th of December, I believe. Um, also, there will be Charlie Hickson, who I'm desperate to oh, wow. just get to say um, I'm Charlie Hickson and you're listening to Fail Critics. That, that, then we can just keep <laughs> that as a sting forever. Um, also, the guy who played Paddy in Emmerdale, if any of you know anything about Emmerdale, I've watched it a bit when I was younger, um, but yeah, he's a vet in Emmerdale. Apparently he's a film director now and he's filmed a zombie film on the Yorkshire Moors or something like that and he's going to be presenting that. His name's Monique Brunt. Um a few other films as well. There's some short zombie film. Oh, yeah, it, it looks very exciting anyway. Um, and it finishes with Cockneys versus Zombies, which I've not seen yet. And I've heard is actually not bad um, and has Honor Blackman and Richard Bryce in it. 
So that, that should be interesting. And I think they've got all sorts of games and stuff like that as well. So yeah, I'll be reporting back on that. And what is the next new release we are watching? The next new release we are watching is, and do you know what? I'm having to go and have a quick look now because I've forgotten because we're definitely not doing Twilight. I've completely shunned Twilight. Um, it's about so we started, you started in like a policy where we don't watch these films. Yeah, no, everyone's been waiting see, for this no, to happen. Twilight, right, oh. I've seen the trailers for the new ones. Yeah. And, right, so the first ones, it just seems like a love story. This girl likes two different blokes, and one happens to be a, a vampire and one happens to be a werewolf. And then the yeah. trailer for the last one, it all just seems like just a massive kickoff. Yeah. What, uh, I don't know uh, what's going on. Uh, it, they've done that whole thing where they've split the last book in two, which seems to be Hollywood's way of dealing with things now. Or um, Peter Jackson's putting one book into three. But yeah, exactly. That's shocking. But yeah, but anyway, the next film we are watching, I saw the trailer for it again today, I'm quite excited by it, is End of Watch, the new Jake Gyllenhaal uh, and Michael Penner film. Um, that looks Thanks, very, footage. very interesting. Yes, yes. But a, a lot of good reviews. Mixed on. with real found footage, mixed with narrative footage, and it's but it's found footage that um, has a legitimate reason for being found. So I've got no problem with this film whatsoever because <laughs> it's like um, it's like those uh, police camera action type things. So yeah. no, I'm I'm quite into that. Uh, and then the week after that, we will be inducting, if that's the right word, is it? Yeah, um, our first entry into the Failed Critics Hall of Fame. Um, so if you want to let us know on Twitter uh, who should be in our Hall of Fame, let us know on at Failed Critics. If you want to let us know on Facebook, let us know on facebook.com slash Failed Critic. Um, or you'll just let us know on the blog at failedcritics.com where you will be able to find my column about the launch of our Hall of Fame feature by the time you hear this. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for uh, listening thanks for joining us on the podcast Jerry Owen and James um, yes James just told you where you can find all yes, the, the see, blog see and the website I did that like a pro yeah. it's confused <laughs> me now I didn't expect you to be so good at this <laughs> but you can find articles from, from me on there now as well so you can um, one's Bye, up mate. yeah one's One's up. There's another one ready to go. One's up. Another one on the way. Yeah. Jerry, I'm waiting for your um, favourite films of 2001. Yeah, I know. It's a Ooh. hard year. To put it that way. <laughs> Don't just say, yeah, I know. Get him to me. God damn it, man. <laughs> so, See what it's like. They're letting you behind the curtain here. This is what it's like to us. <laughs> there we are. So, yes, like I said, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everyone for joining us um, and giving your opinions. And thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. I'll go fuck yourself.